You've tuned into the App Show. I'm your host, Mike Agarbo. I've got AJ Vickery here with me today. Thanks for coming in the studio. Absolutely. You haven't been here for a while. Yeah, it's been a little bit. It's glad yeah. to be back. Yeah. We've got a cool program today. We're going to be talking with Carmi Levy out of Toronto about Bill C-18. I don't know if you've been following this, AJ, but uh, Facebook's uh, parent company, Meta, does not like it because it would crack down on the big tech giants like Facebook and Google and make them do deals with all the news organizations because they're basically posting all their stuff for free and then generating advertising revenue from it. But the news organizations like CKNW and the chorus radio stations and the broadcasters and the newspapers, they don't get any of that. (laughs) Of course they don't like it. (laughs) No. And it's so stupid, right? Because already in Australia, the same thing happened and they did work out an agreement that the big tech giants do have to go out and make these agreements with news organizations. So why don't they just do the same thing here? Instead of just like being little babies and just saying, I'm going to shut off all the news. Yeah. Throw money at it. Yeah. Make it go away. I don't know. It's a little crazy. Uh, We'll also be talking about all the tech layoffs. It's getting uh, a little scary. We've seen literally tens of thousands of people being laid off from the big tech giants. I mean, that doesn't even cover the story with like a lot of the mid size and the smaller uh, you know, tech companies. Uh, and again, Facebook just announced, or Meta, Facebook's parent company, announced that they're laying off another 10,000 people. Well, you know, it kind of reminds me of the big kind of uh, layoffs that happened in sort of like 2009, 2008, 2009. I know. Where we saw similar types of things. And now the same, now similar banks are starting, or not similar banks, but banks are starting to, to fail. Fail. And so yeah. it's a bit, rem- kind of starts to remind you not too long ago. I don't know. How do you feel about it? I'm scared. <laughs> yeah. Like we're still, I mean, our company here, we're still trying to figure out what's going on. Like yeah. 2020 and 2021 were actually pretty good years. Sure. Uh, but 2022 and this year, it's really unpredictable, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I just wanted to get better and <laughs> get a warm hug. It always does. Uh, and we'll also be talking uh, with an interesting company out of Toronto called Parachute. Uh, they're part of uh, uh, a cool accelerator program that Intuit uh, Canada is uh, putting on. And uh, we'll hear a little bit about what this company does to help uh, people get out of debt, kind of using fintech or financial tech, Mm -hmm. which is kind of cool. But uh, let's look at some of the tech news. I don't know if you saw this, AJ, but uh, uh, Samsung's in a bit of a, a PR pickle here regarding some of their moonshots. So Samsung, when they come out with new phones, as all of them do, they always show off these fantastic photos that were taken. And a lot of times, you know, they're trying to show off the, the night photography and specifically with Samsung's case, the moon. And so one uh, enterprising uh, Reddit uh, user, I break photos, I think that is his name. He conducted an experiment by creating a blurred photo of the moon, like a blurred photo. Mm-hmm. And took a picture of it with the new Samsung phone. Oh no, <laughs> the twenty three Ultra, and the and he made it completely blurry. And somehow, the Samsung phone made it great. It added details like uh, you know craters and and all sorts of other things. So you're just wondering what it's doing when it's taking the photos. Do you know what I mean? Well, it's got artificial intelligence in it side of it. Oh, clearly, <laughs> clearly. I, <laughs> I mean, these, these camera phones have gotten so good, right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and obviously, they are using all sorts of uh, cheats and tricks to make the world look better. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. To me, was that a, is that a big deal to you? Do you care? Well, I mean, I mean, unless you're like some moon enthusiast, <laughs> a purist, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess at the end of the day, you, you absolutely want to know, um, kind of like the technology that you purchase and kind of what it's doing, uh, so that you have a handle on it. But do, do I care that much that when you take a picture of me, I look a little bit better? Yeah, <laughs> I look a little better. Yeah, I want to look better. But I have a friend uh, that lives out near me. Uh, his name's Lester. I've known him for many years. He's uh, really into photography, and he he takes astrophotography. Like he he takes pictures of um, you know the stars and moons and stars and planets and and the moon. And so he posts them on Facebook all the time, and they're glorious, right? Mm. And but I mean, when you compare it to like a Samsung photo of the moon. Like the Samsung, you know, you're like, wow, this is an amazing telephoto super camera, right? But now, obviously, there's we can see that there's like software being used to enhance enhance it, which is kind of uh, funny. Uh, also, kind of trending in the news right now uh, as well, uh, TikTok, we, we keep talking about it. But it looks like the Biden administration is really starting to kind of clamp down now. And to make sure that TikTok is not a, a national security uh, threat. And, and I think we'll see over the next couple of months, maybe even sooner, weeks, uh, the U.S. government might force ByteDance, the parent company, to sell it off or completely divest itself of the U.S. arm of it. Yeah, I, I have different reasons for being happy for this. Because <laughs> you hate TikTok? No, I actually, oh, oh sorry. I um, don't hate it freaking love it yeah but it is like addictive it is like i see how problematic it actually is you yeah. know what i mean like no it, i have the same problem yeah. aj like i'll just start watching some tiktok videos yeah. and you know for the listeners that haven't tried it yet don't yeah. <laughs> first of all it's like crack <laughs> i mean you just keep scrolling up you know these short little videos yeah. and the algorithm just starts learning what you like totally yeah yeah just whatever rabbit hole you start going down yeah it just continues to feed you and next thing you know it's like where did that time go? Out of all the social platforms, um, you know, Instagram, Facebook, you know, LinkedIn, you know, this one is definitely the most addictive, I have to say. Well, it uh, looks like they are going to be going through some major changes. I mean, Trump tried to, uh, you know, make these changes when he was in office, but it's just been gathering steam now, uh, you know. The governments are concerned that they do have ties. TikTok and ByteDance have ties to the, the Chinese communist uh, government and that they can get all kinds of information uh, from citizens and, and government workers. That's why in Canada and the U.S. and other countries, uh, government uh, workers aren't allowed to have that app on their uh, smartphone uh, anymore. So uh, I wonder if that'll change if they do have to sell it off. I know Microsoft was looking at buying it last time and even Oracle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That will be an interesting bidding war. Well, it was last time. Yeah. And I think Microsoft was coming out on, on top of that. And I don't know why it all kind of crashed uh, at the uh, the end. Uh, maybe ByteDance didn't want to sell it. Uh, but uh, I think uh, those uh, fortunes are, yeah. are changing. And I think when it, once it transitions, the end is near. Do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't survive this. You, you oh, know, it'll survive. You don't think? It'll be some watered-down version of something, you know. Like. Uh, if they just keep it the same as it is right now, it'll just still keep ticking along. It's got over like a billion monthly active users like it's on fire yeah okay we're gonna have to take a break when we come back do you get your news through your facebook news feed well if you do 
That might be changing if the government doesn't change Bill C-18. Meta, Facebook's parent company, is threatening to cut off news from its Facebook users. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here in studio. We're going to talk about Meta now. Meta is the parent company of Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp, and how it all relates to Bill C-18 working its way through the Canadian parliamentary and Senate system. On the line to help us uh, navigate this, we've got our good friend Carmi Levy out of Toronto, our, our uh, Eastern tech expert. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. So just quickly, refresher, because I know everyone is fascinated about uh, bills. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Bill C-18, remind our listeners what that's all about and why it's important to know about it. Bill C-18 is more commonly known as the Online News Act, and basically what it will do is it will uh, level the playing field between big tech and big media. If you kind of look through your Facebook feed, uh, you know, news articles show up uh, on it. If you search in Google, for example, uh, and you get a bunch of links back, some of them will be from legitimate news organizations, which is great, except for the fact that the organizations that create this content that hire the journalists that, uh, you know, pay the electric bill in the newsroom, keep the lights on, um, are not getting paid by the, 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 the online platforms for access to this content. Um, and then the online platforms, the Googles, the Metas of the world, then turn around and sell advertising against that content that someone else paid for and, and make a huge amount of money, hundreds of billions of dollars last year globally alone. So what the Online News Act will do is it will essentially ensure that there is a framework for technology companies and media companies to negotiate payment for access to that content. So that uh, that you know when, for example, uh, the CBC or CTV or Chorus or anyone else, when some of their content shows up you know, on Facebook in a Google search or any other social media or web feed, um, that payment is rendered in some way uh, uh, to make up for the fact that uh, advertising revenues that used to go exclusively to these media platforms now go to the digital platforms. So it ensures that we still get good journalism in Canada. Uh, it ensures that big tech uh, pays its fair share uh, you know, for the content that drives its business and that everyone is happy. That's really the long and the short of what this law is all about. But big tech is not happy with this. I mean, why would they be? They've been getting a free ride for decades. I mean, this goes back to the, literally the beginning of the internet. Remember, internet's got to be free. Data's got to be free. Content's got to be free. But at some point, someone's got to pay for it. And when Google came along in 1998, it scoured the internet and literally indexed everything, didn't ask anyone's permission. Facebook came along in 2004, started running content in feeds, uh, didn't pay anything for it, and then turned around and 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 sold the traffic to advertisers. So of course they're not happy because their fundamental business model, which was what allowed them to become the giants they are in the first place, is now, if not under threat, at least the good times are coming to an end. So of course they would push back and say, you know what, we don't really like it. Maybe we're going to take our ball and go home. So Meta saying. Or are they saying this? They're going to block access to news on Facebook, Instagram, and Instagram if the Online News Act is adopted as is. Yeah, they're saying they don't like the terms of the of the the, the, the bill as it's working its way through uh, the process, and that they want changes made to it. And if they don't get those changes, uh, they will stop allowing content to show up in their feed. So, uh, in Facebook's case, 
uh, you can go through your newsfeed. There will not be anything from a Canadian newspaper or television network or radio network or any legitimate uh, uh, media organization. Uh, similarly with Google, the way that would play out if they ever uh, follow through on their thread uh, is to uh, essentially, you'll get a bunch of links back when you search for something, but there won't be anything in there from a media organization. And in fact, Google is testing uh, that capability. It's it, it ends this week, but they've been testing for the past few weeks um, how that would work. About 5% of Canadians, they've been trying it out on them. So if you're one of those unlucky 5%, uh, your Google searches for the last few weeks have not included a whole lot of news content. Uh, and that's problematic, again, um, because that is the way many of us surface our news content. We read through our social feeds. We do searches online, uh, and that could potentially go dark if uh, nothing changes. So, but this is a, a, an ongoing thing in other jurisdictions as well in other countries. Like, how have other similar countries, you know, like Australia, dealt with this? Yeah, and Australia was the well, the one that really pioneered this. They, they were the first country a few years back to propose uh, a new law that would govern these relationships between tech and media companies that would uh, that would require tech companies to pay for access to this content. And as you can imagine, Meta, then known as Facebook and and Google, uh, were not very happy about it there either. And they also threatened to stop providing their services down under. Um, and ultimately negotiated an updated deal with the Australian government. They made some changes to the legislation that made them happy. They backed away from the precipice, and it became law two years ago, 2021. Um, and since then, they have been negotiating individual deals with each media organization for how much they'll pay them uh, to access their content and share it on their platforms. Under what circumstances? How does that process work? What does it all look like? Uh, and so what dis what's disappointing here is that it all kind of got figured out in Australia and then every other country, so Canada, the US, France, the UK, Germany, many others, they've all started drafting their own proposed legislation that essentially uses Australia as a model. And instead of being conciliatory, the tech companies are basically saying, oh, we're going to try being bullies here too. Uh, and and so they clearly haven't learned from history. They're turning it into uh, an unnecessarily dramatic process. Uh, and here we are, yet again, you have Tech companies thinking they can take on the government and win. Can I ask something simple? Like, sure. why do, why doesn't the government push back and just say, yeah, well, that's too bad. We're just going to ban Facebook. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I've often thought of that. It's like, you know, you know, you, you want to go there, go ahead, just do it. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll help you along the way. Let's just, we'll flip the switch for you. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see games of brinkmanship aimed with the government calling big tech's bluff and basically saying, you know what, fine, take it, you know, goodbye. I would love to see that as an experiment. That would certainly get everyone's attention, and it would focus our attention on an issue that has needed discussion for a very long time, namely, uh, you know, the, the unfair encroachment of technology on Canada's media landscape. Um, and, you know, we have been, we've, we've seen for years uh, layoffs, uh, budget cuts, newsroom reductions, uh, closures of entire outlets uh, in, in, in key markets. Um, and all of this is because technology has raced ahead, the legislation hasn't kept pace, and big technology companies have taken advantage of that vacuum. And so I would love to see the government play tough. And in fact, the government is essentially telegraphing they're not going to give in to this kind of threats. Uh, they're not going to buy that. That's not how legislation is is moved forward in Canada or anywhere else. Uh, and if uh, if you know they want to hop and up and blow the house down, go ahead. Let's see what happens. 
it only takes one country like a Canada just to stand up and say, no, you know, if you want to shut the lights off, fine. What do you think is going to happen to all the rest of the countries? I mean, we're going to start a precedent. Do you know what I mean? I, I would love for Canada to lead for once. I'd love for us to lead by example. So the other countries would look to us and go, yeah, they, they stood tall, they stood tough. And they wouldn't take it from Silicon Valley giants. And I think that's really been the problem uh, on both sides of the border is that you have Silicon Valley companies that create new technologies that are not subject to any legislation because it takes time for those laws to be developed. And they exploit that gap. Um, and so they, they they build business models that they know are exploitative, they know, that they know are predatory, that they know will essentially uh, pave over entire sectors of the economy. but. Hey, their their shareholders are happy. Nothing else matters. And I'd love to see the government push back and say, you know what, that kind of approach doesn't work here anymore. Uh, we have to protect existing industry. We have to protect the, the 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 interests of our citizens. We have to protect the interests of a free press. We have to ensure that that you know democracy is served by a strong foundation in journalism. Um, and we're not going to going to allow you know ex outsiders to dictate the rules. We're the government. That's our job. Uh, so sure, I'd love for Canada to be even tougher than it has been. Although, frankly, these initial steps, these initial responses to the threats from Meta and uh, and 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 uh, Google, um, I think it's a really good start. Uh, you know, Heritage Minister Pablo Rodriguez has basically been saying uh, we're not going to give into threats, and so I think we're on the way. But yeah, you know, if they want to ramp up the rhetoric a little bit more and be even tougher, I think a lot of Canadians would stand up and cheer. We're talking to Carmi Levy about uh, the Bill C-18 and uh, big tech companies uh, trying to, I guess, uh, muscle in on the government not to pass certain aspects of that uh, bill because it uh, basically hurts their bottom line. So we'll have to see how that all plays out in the coming months. Uh, Carmi, I want you to stay on the line because I want to continue the Meta discussion because it was just announced this week that Meta is looking to lay off another 11,000 employees and what that kind of means for the tech set, uh, tech sector in general. So I uh, hope you can stick around. Oh, I'd love to. Thanks. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, more layoffs in the tech sector. Stay tuned. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here in studio. We're going to talk about a really cool uh, program that uh, Intuit is putting on uh, in Toronto. It's called the Intuit Prosperity Accelerator colon Toronto. Uh, and one of the uh, participants is on the program with us uh, today. His name is Bruce Hodges. Uh, he has got a company called Parachute. Thanks for joining us, Bruce. Thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, tell us uh, just quickly about this uh, Prosperity Accelerator. Why are, why are you guys getting involved? Yeah, so two parts to that question. So maybe what is the Intuit Prosperity Accelerator to start with? So it's a four-month program, and it's designed by Intuit to help essentially eight Canadian fintech startups, which obviously includes Parachute, to refine and scale our products. Um, these are products that are specifically designed to help Canadian consumers and small businesses tackle some of today's most pressing financial challenges. So as part of the program, I'm paired with an Intuit product manager, which is amazing. Um, to gain more insight as to how we can continue to innovate for our customers. And we use what's called their Design for Delight program, or they shorten that to D4D. Um, some of your listeners may know it. It's, it's actually quite famous, and it involves extensive customer research and experimentation to really identify the opportunities for growth for our customers, which is, you know, that's something that's got to be a core skill set in any startup. Um, and there's really a lot we can learn from the Intuit team who 
you know, quite frankly, as you get to know them, has this as a cornerstone of their DNA. So in addition to this, Highland Beta is also in the background. We have access to their dedicated coaching and subject matter experts. And then in addition to that, possibility of follow-on investments from Highline. So overall, an unbelievable program and an incredible opportunity for us. Well, it's interesting uh, when you say the word fintech, and uh, you know, for the listeners out there that don't know what that means, that's uh, financial tech. And Canada is actually kind of a hotbed for a lot of these companies. It is. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on. And we're actually looking at sort of redefining that uh, term and calling it FinCare, actually. So we, we are a financial care company. And as we get into the solution, um, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that, I'm sure. But yeah, there's a lot of great fintech happening in Canada. I think we're a little bit delayed in terms of the open banking side, which we're using heavily as you get into that tech side. But uh, yeah, some great things happening in fintech in Canada. Uh, just quickly, uh, open banking, what does that mean for the listeners? So essentially, open banking is the ability to share data between your financial institutions. So in our case, and we'll talk about this in the solution, we are ingesting 12 months of core bank account data and credit card data to give consumers a better handle on how they are spending their money and also coach them back to better financial health. That's a that's a feature of our product. It's not what we lead with, but that is the context of how open banking works in general and, and in particular for us. So Bruce, your company's name is Parachute. So give us the synopsis of what you were all about. Yeah, so... Essentially, let me paint a little bit of the backdrop of the picture of what's happening today. So I think there's some obvious things that are happening. You know, Canadian consumers lead the G7 in terms of personal debt levels. The US, the American consumers aren't far behind. Um, inflation is obviously rising. Interest rates are rising. And the pressure on consumers is unbelievable. It's, it's off the charts. Now, if you dig into a subset of these consumers where we're focused, are essentially consumers where their credit score has fallen below somewhere in that 700 to 720 score range. And when that happens, you essentially fall off the banks, or as our customers would tell you, they're ejected by the banks. So as soon as you fall into the below 720, 700 range, you end up dealing with what we call predatory lenders. So these are lenders, you know, if you, if you're in Toronto, you'll see them on Young Street or in many shopping malls. Um, they're very uh, household names, unfortunately. And if you walk into one of these lenders off the street, you face interest rates of 36 to 47%. And the impact on our customers' everyday lives is absolutely debilitating. And if you take it one step further to go to uh, the payday lenders, it's actually 400% interest annualized or north of that. Isn't that illegal? The impact is no, unfortunately. In the uh, payday lending space, they manage in the mid-90s to carve out their own act. So they have a special condition. The usury laws are uh, 60%, but there's a complex calculation under the usury laws for the other institutions where the 47% with you, where you get for some of them off the street is actually at the cap. So they are within the law, but just. So how do you help consumers with your fintech company? Yeah, very important question. So we have a platform that's based on economic behavior principles where we have what we call a three-step program. So the first step um, is what we call the reset, which is a fancy term for starting with a debt consolidation loan. So we pay out most, if not all, of our customers' debts and bring them onto our platform at a better interest rate. That first step generally gets our customers cash flow relief of anywhere from $200 to $1,000 per month. And this gives them the ability to step back 
and take a breath. And these are very cash constrained customers with a very low financial wellness score. We then bring them into our platform and in the platform, we move to what we call the second phase, which is the motivate phase. So we provide significant financial incentives for our customers to exhibit good financial behavior, which essentially will get them financially healthy. So we get our customers to commit to four key goals every month, and they're the same goals every month. And then at the end of the month, they come in and tell us how they did. Now, you talked about open banking earlier. We can see this in the background, so we know how they did, but we believe it's a cornerstone for them to commit and attest to how their month went. And those four goals are quite straightforward. One is pay us on time. Two is make your other debt payments and bill payments on time. The third is not to take on any additional unsecured debt. And the fourth is to keep your credit utilization below 50%, which sounds complicated, but that's basically keep your credit cards below 50% utilization. And the reason for these is if you hit those goals or when you hit those goals, you will by definition become financially healthy. So when that happens, we give them a cash rebate of a prorated share of 10% of the principal of the loan into a virtual account where they can save it and get it when the loan is paid off. The third piece is we go into what we call the empowerment phase. So in the dashboard, we have a lot of additional tools, quizzes, educational elements to push up the financial literacy. So that's a very important phase as well for people to come out feeling confident that they've solved this problem and they come out with the savings as well. So they have emergency savings. And that ties back to your question about open banking. We have a number of what we call widgets in the platform. They can see their month on month spend. They can see their top spending categories. They can see their spend versus income and a number of other tools that at the simplest level, even just raise awareness. If you know that, you know what, I spent $300 with Uber Eats last last month or $100 with Starbucks, maybe those are the things you need to just be aware of and that'll have you thinking a little bit differently about it as you, as you go about your day to day. So relief or the, the reset phase, motivate and then empower. And then our customers come out the other end feeling great. And so what size of debt um, do you guys work with? Like so what's the starting point? Is between seventeen and $18,000, um, which then means you can do the math and the cash rebate is, is between $1,500 and $2,000. So a good healthy amount of debt. And it's key to us that we try and take out as much of that high interest debt as possible. And you know, uh, one of the examples I use when I when I, I, I pitched this more formally, we have a, a customer who's a great example. She's her name, Jean-Marie. She had uh, $30,000 of debt. We took out 25,000 of that. The blended interest on her debt was 41.28%. So you can see the impact of that is quite significant. And what, what can you bring it down to? So our rates range from 24.9 to 29.9. And in addition to that, they get the 10% of the principal back. So that moves it down to in and around credit card rates, a little bit higher, but well below the 36 to 47% range uh, that our competition is charging. We've been talking with Bruce Hodges. Uh, he is uh, part of the Intuit uh, Prosperity Accelerator program happening uh, in the Toronto region for fintech startups. Where can people find out more information about uh, parachutes, Bruce? Yeah, absolutely. Hit our website at www.myparachute.co, not .com, .co, and that's probably the best place. You can see all the information about the product. You can see some videos and other things, and you can apply directly on the site. Thanks for joining us, Bruce. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. 
When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. Back after this. You are back with the program. We've got Carmen Levy with us uh, on the line today. We uh, just finished talking about Meta threatening to shut off their news feed if uh, Bill C-18 is passed here in Canada. Uh, hopefully the government won't uh, blink on that one. But I want to talk about Meta when it comes to their employees. Uh, you might remember they laid off literally 10,000 of their uh, brethren uh, back in November. And now it looks like they are going to lay off another 11,000 people. Carmi, what's going on? Well, I mean, it's interesting because when they announced their first round of layoffs, that was around the time that pretty much every other major tech company was announcing layoffs of their own. And the excuse that they all gave, including Meta, was that, well, the pandemic came along. There was a huge spike in demand for our services. Uh, advertisers were knocking down our door. Everybody shifted their lives into the digital space. They're spending their entire day scrolling Facebook feeds and, and doing Google searches and using all the tools that we provide. So they grew fast. Uh, everybody was on a hiring binge. They couldn't hire fast enough. And now that we're on the back end of the pandemic, that demand curve is flattening or going down for their services. And so in many cases, they're right-sizing themselves. They're, they're simply sort of getting rid of the excess that they don't need now that demand is slackening off. They're still bigger than they were when the pandemic started, but certainly the you know, the, the bloom is off the rose. And that was the excuse then. But right now, you know, here we are four months later, Meta's announcing another round of layoffs. They're the only ones who are doing so. No one else is is announcing a second round. The numbers that they gave last time were all they needed, but I guess not Zuckerberg's shop. And the re there's something different here. And this is not industry-wide. This is Meta's failure to recognize uh, that the future is is going to be very different. In other words, uh, their social media business is starting to flatline. Uh, their user base has been shrinking over the last year. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're, they're not getting premium pricing for their advertising. Um, it's harder for them to get advertising across all of their platforms to get advertisers to pay what they used to pay. Um, and so as this business is in decline, they're investing tens of billions of dollars every year to build out their vision for the metaverse. Mark Zuckerberg's basically, you know, the holy grail, the the, the, the Hail Mary pass uh, that he says is the very future of the company and more broadly, the future of technology. Well, guess what? That's not going so well. The company has built um, uh, some, some beta software that they can't even get their own employees to use. Senior executives are sending panic emails around begging people to use it saying we've got to test it internally nobody wants to because it's frankly just really bad software uh so you know you sort of put the two together it's like well you know he's betting on the metaverse the rest of the industry is saying artificial intelligence is a thing social media is continuing to fall off we're in pretty bad shape and i think he kind of looked at the bottom line looked at the numbers and said we didn't cut enough four months ago our business is still flatlining. We've got to do something internally, convince people that we're being efficient. And so, you know, if you're one of those those 10,000, sorry, uh, you know, you've lost your job so that Mark Zuckerberg can uh, play nice with investors, hopefully buy a little bit more time as he continues to transition the company. Well, he's calling it uh, 2023, the year of efficiency. And I just want to correct uh, what I said earlier. It was 11,000 people they laid off uh, in uh, November. Now it's 10,000 and also uh, 5,000 job postings that they have open. They're shutting that down uh, as, as well. Uh, from my understanding, 2022, they were down 4% in revenue. I mean, they're still multi-billion dollars uh, in, in profit, which is just uh, uh, amazing. But um, 
And they're even talking about launching a Twitter competitor as well. Do you think they're still going to go through with that? Is that part of the roadmap? Uh, I think they're making a lot of announcements now, but, you know, and they're also announcing that they want to build a chat GPT competitor. And, you know, if you're going to see all of those promises through to fruition and build a business around it, that's going to take billions of dollars to get all of that stuff to see the light of day. So I think they're making a lot of announcements, testing out the market, seeing what people or how people react to it. Um, But in terms of uh, Mark Zuckerberg pulling out his wallet and funding these initiatives. I think that's a whole different story. Um, I mean, it's interesting. You know, yes, the company is still profitable, profitable, but in Silicon Valley, we all know uh, you're only as successful as your most recent growth statistics. And so, if you're not growing, you're at the risk of being paved over by uh, some other company that will literally run you over as they grow in something new. So, you know, as we've seen so many times before, tech giants need to keep growing in order to survive. And as as laughable as it sounds that a company can make billions of dollars and still be a failure, um, that's kind of where Meta finds itself at its current point in history. Uh, social media is now the past, not the future. And either it reshapes itself into something for the future, which Zuckerberg hopes is the metaverse, uh, or we're going to be talking about Facebook, uh, the, the product, and Meta, the company, in past tense, five years from now. That's the existential threat to this particular company because it was all social media all the time up up, up until recently. Um, that has changed, but there's no evidence that this is going to be, or the metaverse is going to be a sustainable business going forward. And that's probably keeping Mark Zuckerberg up at night. The good news is, is they announced that they're getting rid of these, these 10,000 additional jobs and they're not going to be hiring an additional 5,000 job openings. Um, and what happened? The share value went up because investors <laughs> don't care about years from now. All they care about is immediately. And so Mark Zuckerberg sends a clear message. This is the year of efficiency. We are cutting costs. We are tightening our belt. Uh, and that's all investors are focused on the short term. So in the short term, he's bought himself some time. In the long term, he might have shot himself in the foot. Who is their greatest threat right now? Like who's going to run them over in your mind? Uh, you know, it's interesting because we, we've been talking about TikTok a lot lately. That is their biggest existential threat. TikTok or another, you know, that is the next TikTok. What's the next big thing online that will come along and continue to siphon off their existing network, have them spend less time in Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp lands, and more time in whatever else is the shiny new thing that comes along. And so we know that the cur- current biggest threat is TikTok. It's the fastest growing social media platform out there. It is the reason that young people no longer spend their time on Facebook or Instagram, but they're shifting over t- their time to TikTok, which of course is taking all the advertising money as, as, as that transition happens. And it also means that going forward, Facebook has a lot less room to grow network on it in, in on emerging new platforms. Say, let's say it develops this Twitter competitor because everyone else has essentially decided they're going to be spending their time elsewhere. So all of this sounds good. Zuckerberg has some really great plans for the future. But the sad reality is, is that uh, your any any technology is always at risk from a company that they've probably never heard about. Uh, and right now, that's where Meta finds itself. And because it's so diversi- diversified across multiple social media platforms, it's not just a singular threat, it's multiple. How big of a threat is AI? I know they say that they've been working on AI, but there is like some stiff competition in that space right now. 
Oh, hugely. I mean, you know, Microsoft's putting an estimated $10 billion into OpenAI, open the uh, organization behind ChatGPT and now GPT-4. Uh, Alphabet has basically declared what's called a code red, uh, which is, uh, you know, pivot at the company now or we will go extinct. And so they've literally changed their entire direction uh, and they're focusing exclusively on developing AI-based tools and platforms going forward. Um, so, uh, so, you know, pretty much everyone has decided that that AI is the thing and 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 the metaverse no longer is uh, as even though meta has essentially said yes we are planning to you know introduce a new large language model and other products that compete in this space there's a wide gulf between saying this is what you're going to do and then actually doing it and building a sustainable model sustainable platform um so you know, again lots of talk from meta but not a lot of of action and and even then um it, it's another me too product. Everyone else has a large, large language model. Everyone else has an AI chatbot. Everyone else is introducing something. What is it about Meta's vision that is different, that is unique, that is that is as refreshing in the AI space in 2023 as Facebook was in the in the emerging social media space in 2004? There's no answer to that yet because because Mark Zuckerberg does not know what that vision is. He's simply playing a game of catch up. And as we know in technology, when you're copying everyone else, you lost the war. And we've got about 30 seconds left here, Carmi. Is uh, Mark Zuckerberg not long for this earth or is he going to continue to keep driving Facebook or Meta? I, I, I refer back to when Steve Ballmer was the CEO of Microsoft and everyone was calling for his head because he you know, had clearly built the company to a certain point, but it was at an inflection point. Um, and it needed fresh blood. It needed a new vision. And and that vision in the end was Satya Nadella and he's transformed the company. I think uh, Meta is at that same point now. Mark Zuckerberg has gotten them to a point where they're wildly successful, but that's yesterday's news. Um, and he is not capable of delivering tomorrow's news. Uh, we need someone with new vision. And I think the clock is ticking on his leadership. I want to thank Carmi Levy for joining us again today. Uh, don't forget to hit our website, getconnectedmedia.com to check out our uh, other radio show, Get Connected, and all our great YouTube videos uh, as well. It's Mike Agarbo signing off for The App Show. We'll see you again next time.